0: Everybody. Welcome to Foothill Family Church. We are so glad you could join us this morning. I hope you are nice and comfortable on the couch. I hope you have a cup of coffee. We sure miss being with you, but we are so glad that we have this technology to get together, to get to worship and hang out. Uh, we have fun here, so have fun when we worship our Heavenly Father. Go ahead and hit share on the button below or even start a watch party and invite your friends. Let's spread the word around the globe this morning. Amen. Amen. He's wrong Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for this time of worship together as a family. That we get to enter into your courts with thanksgiving and praise, Father God. We come to you this morning. We love you, Father. Be glorified and magnified in each place representing you. your name. everything and I will and do
1: Lord, we worship you today. You are the King. You are the Lord. You are all in all. You are the God who made heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Our trust is in you. Our confidence is in you. Our faith is in you. And because of that, we can rejoice today, knowing that we are in the palm of your hand. No evil shall befall us, neither shall any plague come nigh our dwelling. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, for your mercy to us, for the joy and the peace that is in us, because Jesus is our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them Jesus is Lord. (laughs) Hello. Good morning, everybody. We are the church, and we are glad that you're here. Praise the Lord. We expect good things from the word of God today. What are they telling me in the back? Are you telling me something? Are you waving at me? Oh, he's not talking to me. He's talking to Brian. Okay. Oh, well. Um. So we want to just let you know, um, Chip let you know at the top, but we want to let you know to, on the bottom of your screen there, you can share if you're watching on Facebook Live. You can uh, share um, your uh, the Facebook uh, stream that we're doing right now, or when you do do when you do share, there's a little button at the bottom that says "Create a Watch Party." Now I talked to a lady from our church this last week who did this. She created a watch party, and so what that means is you're inviting all of your friends. You're not just sharing that. Um, sharing that stream from the church, but um, you're making your own like little room of just your friends that you can comment to, talk to, say hello, answer their questions. And um, one one lady that I talked to this last week, she said people who she had been uh, talking to uh, for some years and witnessing to, they were asking her for Bibles. They were asking her questions about scripture. And so this is such an opportunity. This is a, a way for us to, To reach our family, to reach our friends. And I'm sure that there will be some questions that come up, but you know, you can answer those questions and help those people and minister to those people. Uh, We also want to encourage you if you're a part of our church or if you're just watching in, not to isolate yourself, but to initiate. Say initiate. Initiate a phone call. Initiate a text. Initiate reaching out to somebody else. You know, on your uh, if you go to the grocery store once a week, initiate to somebody standing around you a conversation and encouragement. These are days that people are willing to listen to us because people are searching for answers. So I just uh, encourage you to initiate phone calls, text messages, reaching out as as we can reach out to in these days. Um, some of you may have also seen um, on the news. I think it was yesterday. Um, That um, Brazil, the Brazil president has declared today a national day of prayer and fasting for his nation. What a wonderful thing. You know, uh, some months before um, all this started, back in the fall, the Holy Spirit led us to have additional prayer at our church than what we were having. And so we uh, stayed after services, not every Sunday, but at least two a month um, to pray. We stayed after the morning service, and we had time of prayer. And one scripture um, that the Holy Spirit really put on our heart just the last few months it's a scripture that many of us quote. It's a scripture that many of us know, but it was just amplified to our hearts. And that is in um, Second Chronicles. Oh, dear, I forgot this reference right now. Um, 7. Oh, somebody tell me. What? He's not saying it loud enough. Could you tell me, Chip, what he's saying? He's so far away. 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, oh, and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And the Holy Spirit shows us things to come. We've been praying this scripture over our nation. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, we should be praying always. And so I want to encourage you that from home or wherever you are, that we pray always, that we pray for our nation, that we pray for the church, and that we let the Holy Spirit help us in prayer. These are times of prayer. The Bible says we should pray always, we should watch always. Um, so the in just just a, just a minute, um, the... Um uh, chip and Ryan are going to come up and they're gonna do a song that I requested that they learn it's an old song it's a song uh, I think it was probably written in the 1970s by a wonderful friend and minister of ours David Ingalls, and it is on that particular scripture that I just quoted to you um, so they're gonna they're gonna uh, do that we just want to let you know um, if you want to uh, give you can always text to give the informations at the bottom of your screen and I just want us before they sing I I just want us to pray. Heavenly Father, we seek you. As the as scripture says, as the word of God says, that we should seek you. And so we do. We seek you today. We seek you all days. Jesus, we declare that you're the Lord of our life. We declare that we turn our hearts toward you. And we thank you, Lord, that in our church family, those who are watching, those who are are listening to us, we thank you, Lord, that the peace of God reigns in our homes. We thank you, Lord, for divine protection. You have promised it to us. In Psalm 91, you have promised us that no evil will befall us nor plague come near our dwelling. And it shall not take hold of us in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for divine provision. Divine provision for our church family that uh, you will uh, uh, supernaturally cause work, finances, and whatever is needed. You take care of your own. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed-begging bread. Thank you. Thank you that, that we are in that place. But, Lord, we pray now today. We pray for our nation, and we pray for the nations of the world. We pray, Father, that there would be a turn, that hearts would turn toward you. Even believers who don't recognize where they are in their commitment and in their place with you. They don't see clearly. We pray, Lord, that you would open eyes that they would see, that they would see the, the uh, things that they need to uh, change and the, and, the, and the adjustments and the course corrections that they need to make in their lives. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray that the glory of God would be seen upon the church we pray, dear Lord, that the reign of God, as we have been praying, that the reign of God would fall upon our nation, that the reign of God would fall upon this world like never before, that hearts would be open unto the gospel, that people would be hungry for God, that Christians would be hungry for God, that even those who are atheists and even those who, who have mocked you, O oh Lord, It would see how such a small thing, how God is so great. God created, even as Pastor Mike preached, God created the world. And even such a tiny virus, a tiny thing that the eye cannot see, stops mankind. And yet how much greater are you? Because you created it all. Hallelujah. So, Father, we do let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. We examine our hearts. And we seek your face. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: If my people call by my name themselves and pray I from. (laughs) you. <laughs>
2: we do love you we do magnify your holy name I thank you Father that the presence of the Lord is here in us and among us I thank you Father for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of each one of our spirits, our hearts would be enlightened that we would know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of your inheritance in glory in the saints. And that we would know the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. Thank you, Father, for utterance and direction in the Holy Ghost this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody, and, and happy Palm Sunday This is certainly a different Easter season for us as far as the way that things are to be done and are being done. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered into Jerusalem to the shouts of praise and hosanna and worship from the people unto God. They worshiped him as the Christ. But then less than a week later, Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again. It's always intrigued me how fast things changed. It's always intrigued me how quickly things shifted between Palm Sunday and the crucifixion of Jesus. I think some of the things that we're experiencing now in in our own country and things that are going on around the world or a preview for us. Because the Bible says God said He would shake all nations. He literally said that He would shake everything that could be shaken. And we're seeing a glimpse of that, or a, at least a preview of that, even now in our own time. I want to start this morning in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus said unto them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The rock he's talking about being the foundation of the church is the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, and certainly not Peter. Verse 19, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. You know, I used to think that Jesus sent the disciples out to convince everybody that he was the Christ. That he empowered them or anointed them with power over sickness and disease. So that people would believe that he was the Christ. But here, as in other scriptures in the gospel revealed to us as well, it tells us that Jesus did not instruct his disciples to teach that he was the Christ. Now, I'm sure they, as they were convinced of who he was, that leaked into some of their preaching and some of the ministry work that they were doing. If they were convinced that Jesus was the Christ, how could they not begin to tell people? But that wasn't the thing that Jesus commissioned them to do. This uh, experience, this thing that, in uh, Mark chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 16, was just a few days before Palm Sunday. It was just a few days before Jesus went to Jerusalem and entered in through the gates of the city of Jerusalem to great praise and fanfare and worship. Here where Jesus is saying some of the first things that he ever said about the church, he's obviously talking about the church because he speaks of the knowledge of Christ being the foundation that the church is built on and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. When Jesus begins to speak of the church, the first thing that he identifies is the authority that would be given to the church. He said, And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven Whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice that the binding and loosening starts with the earth and not in heaven. There were many times and many things that happened throughout Jesus' ministry to indicate the power that had been given to him, the commission that had been given to Jesus, to show the Father and reveal the Father unto the people. I want you to look with me over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 gives us the account of Jesus sending out the 70. He told them to go by two and twos into all the cities that he would follow them and, and enter into later. And he commissioned them to heal the sick into any city or any village that they entered that would believe, where the people would believe in the preaching of the gospel that the disciples did, that these 70 disciples did. Verse 17, it says, And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's an interesting statement where Jesus says, you have authority over sickness and disease. He had commissioned them with that authority, and they used it wherever people would believe and exercise faith to receive it. And apparently they came on situations that are not recorded here for us but where people were oppressed of the devil and they used that anointing, that authority, that commission that Jesus had given them and exercised that authority over the devil and the devil had to obey. And that seemed to be the thing that they were most surprised at. Now, we don't know if they were surprised because they didn't know they had that authority, but found out. Or if they considered casting the devil out to be a greater work than healing the sick, as they had been doing as well. But they marveled, saying, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, Jesus said, behold, I give unto you power. This first word power in Luke 10, 19 is the word authority. Authority. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, the ability of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That is ultimate authority. It's unequivocal authority. It's absolute authority that was given to the church. The followers of Jesus were the forerunners of the church. But then he says the important thing is that your name is written in heaven. Now the fact that our name is written in heaven has a lot to do with the authority that can be exercised or is to be exercised by the church. But Jesus, emphasizing that which was most important, emphasized the fact that our names are written in heaven. Now we know what that means to a much greater degree than they did because salvation wasn't available to anybody until Jesus had been raised from the dead. And so these men are unsaved. They're spiritually dead men. But because of their willingness to follow Jesus, they have righteousness imputed to them as if they had been saved already and therefore had the ability to exercise authority over the devil as Jesus had given to them Now folks there's a lot of people in the world today church world that say that Jesus healed the sick and cast out devils and transferred that authority to his disciples while he was here on the earth as a special thing to prove that Jesus was the son of God Well that doesn't seem to make sense that Jesus would tell, the people, tell his disciples not to tell people that he was the Christ if that was his overriding mission. But in fact, his overriding mission was to reveal the Father to mankind, not to reveal himself as the Christ or the Messiah. He knew those things would take care of themselves. But here he emphasizes with the 70 that their names were written in heaven that their names are written in heaven, not the fact that they had authority over the devil. Folks, authority over the devil, in God's eyes and in God's estimation, or from God's point of view, is such an absolute thing for the church that we shouldn't even make a big deal about it, or certainly not as big a deal as we make about the fact that we've been saved, made new creatures in Christ Jesus, and made the righteousness of God in him. I've told the story many times, perhaps you remember it, Brother Hagan told about an experience he had in the early 1950s, he was in a church holding a, a several week meeting or revival and after the service one evening he and the pastor were in the parsonage and they knelt down to pray and suddenly Jesus appeared. To brother Hagin and he spoke to him brother Hagin said the vision lasted for about an hour and a half and he spoke to him and said from this time forward that which is spoken of in my word as the discerning of spirit shall operate in your life and ministry when you're in the spirit and as a result of that Jesus told brother Hagin I'm going to teach you about devils demons and evil spirits well toward the end of the vision Brother Hagan said that there was a, an evil spirit that showed up and appeared between Jesus and Brother Hagan and started making a lot of noise so that Brother Hagan couldn't hear everything Jesus was saying. He heard that Jesus was continuing to talk, but he couldn't make out any of the words that he was saying to him, and he began to emit this smoke or fog to where Brother Hagan couldn't see Jesus any longer. Brother Hagen said that he was almost panicked because he's thinking, why is Jesus letting this happen? Doesn't Jesus know that I can't hear what he's saying? Brother Hagen recognized the importance of hearing every part of what Jesus was saying to him. And so he was greatly concerned. Panicked is the word that he used. So he said, Almo- uh, uh, almost in a panic, I just cried out and told that evil spirit to stop in the name of Jesus. And he said, as soon as I did that, that evil spirit fell to the ground and the smoke or the fog began to dissipate and Brother Hagin could see Jesus again. And then he spoke to the evil spirit again and said, not only stop, but get out of here. And he said that evil spirit ran as in terror from that place. Then Jesus said some things to brother Hagen that he set up into his theology. Jesus said to him, "If you hadn't done something about that evil spirit, I couldn't have." Well, brother Hagen shook his ears a little bit and told Jesus that he must not be hearing right. And he said to Jesus, "You didn't say that if I hadn't done something about that you couldn't have, you said you wouldn't, didn't you? And Jesus said, no. I said, if you hadn't done something about that, I couldn't. Well, this happened for about three times. And Brother Hagin said, that's different than anything I've ever heard before. And he told Jesus, I can't accept that without you showing it to me in the word. I don't care if I am having a vision of you. I don't care if I am seeing you. If I can't prove that or substantiate it from the word of God, I can't believe it. And so he said to Jesus, I want you to give me three examples in the New Testament that would support this. And Jesus said, I'll go you one better. I'll give you four. Then Jesus said this. Jesus told Brother Hagan that no writer in the, in the New Testament ever told the church or any part of the church to pray to God that God would do something about the devil. But instead, every writer that mentioned the devil in any context whatsoever spoke to the church, you and I as believers, to do something about the devil. I won't take time to go through the scriptures, but I'll make mention of them. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, he said, Neither give place to the devil. Well, you couldn't rightly keep the devil from having any place in your life if you didn't have authority over it. So that was one witness. The second witness was in James chapter 4, verse 7, I believe it is. It says, Submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Doesn't say he'll flee from Jesus said he'll flee from you. That word flee literally means to run from as in terror. Brother Hagin said when when Jesus showed him that or referred him to that scripture, he understood why the little evil spirit ran away in such haste. That's the second witness. The third witness is what Peter wrote to the church. 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse seven, I believe it is, says, casting the whole of your care, the Amplified says, all your anxieties, all your anxieties and all your worries on Him, for He careth for you watchfully and about you, careth for you affectionately and about you watchfully. So it says, casting all your cares over on Him, for He careth for you. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists, this is verse 8, I believe, whom resists steadfast in the faith? In other words, the Bible is telling us, Peter was telling us to resist the devil for ourselves. Resist him in faith. Now, one of the interesting parts of this vision, that's the third witness. One of the interesting parts of this vision that I found to be so telling is that Jesus talked to Brother Hagin about this example in 1 Peter chapter 5. And he reminded Brother Hagen of what Acts 19 tells us about Paul's time in Ephesus. And it says something like this. It says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were taken unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And when those handkerchiefs or aprons were laid on the sick, the sicknesses departed from them, and the evil spirits, if they were present, evil spirits went out of them. And Jesus said this about Paul's admonition to the church to resist the devil in faith or in our faith. He said, Peter did not say, writing to the church, that it's come to my attention that God is using our brother Paul in a spectacular way to cast out evil spirits. So I suggest that you send for one of those handkerchiefs or aprons that have been anointed by our dear brother Paul to gain relief from the devil. But instead, Jesus said, Peter, inspired by the Holy Ghost, told the believers, the individuals, to exercise their authority over the devil and resist him in his work. So again, that's the third witness The fourth one was Jesus himself. I want to read this one to you. Matthew chapter 28. At Jesus' resurrection, Jesus came and spoke unto the disciples, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That word power is not the word ability, it's the word authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now, folks, think about what that means. We'll read some of the rest of what he says too. But think about what that means. When Jesus says all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, the fact that he emphasizes greater authority than he had even when he was here on the earth during his three years of earthly ministry, that indicates that he's gained additional authority that he didn't have, doesn't it? Why would he say all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth if he had all authority in heaven and earth when he was here? when Jesus appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos and revealed to him that which we know of in in our Bibles as the book of Revelation, right at the appearing of Jesus, Jesus identified himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was alive and then died and then rose again. And then he said, and I have the keys of hell and death. Well, apparently he didn't have those when he was here on the earth. And so by the resurrection of Jesus, the expending of the power of God that caused Jesus to be raised from the dead and set at his own right hand in the heavenly places, this authority was given unto him. All authority was given unto him whatever he didn't have when he was here on the earth because of the law of spiritual death, the law of sin and death that came upon mankind and held him in bondage. Whatever that was was reverted and reversed. That authority was returned back to Jesus. Now we could stop right there and say, well, yeah, there we go. We can see clearly that Jesus has authority. But what does that mean to us? Jesus said to Brother Hagin in this vision, When I appeared unto my disciples and said, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, I immediately delegated authority on the earth back to the church. Verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Then Jesus combined that With what Mark chapter 16 verse 15 tells us. Same resurrection experience. But Mark chapter 16 goes into a little bit more detail. Verse 15, and Jesus said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these sons shall follow them that believe in my name. Five things are mentioned here, but notice the first one is, in my name they shall cast out devils. Well, you couldn't cast the devil out if you didn't have authority over him. And so Jesus said, here's the fourth witness, Jesus said, I immediately delegated authority on the earth back to my church. Now, folks, the Bible goes to great pains telling us, let me say it a different way. The Holy Ghost went to great pains to reveal to Paul particularly that the body of Christ or the church is the body of Christ here on the earth. So when Jesus says all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. He has authority in heaven. But he's not here on the earth anymore. The church is. The body of Christ. Now the Bible again makes a big deal out of. Jesus made a big deal out of the first scriptures that we looked at in Matthew chapter 16. Where the first thing Jesus says about the church to the disciples is that the gates of hell would not prevail against it because Jesus is the Christ and the church would have and operate in authority. I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Folks, God wants us to know, Jesus wants us to know that the church has authority over the devil. The church has authority over all the power of the devil. Now some would say that that authority rests in Jesus because of what we just read in Matthew chapter 28. But they would dispute or deny that the church has that same authority or that the church was given a place of authority that we see in the scripture that we have but if that's the case look at what we lost by the resurrection of jesus if that's the case and people talk about this in line with healing the sick too a lot of people will say jesus healed the sick to prove he was the son of god and he gave that authority over sickness and disease to his disciples so that they could prove that jesus was the son of god too but all those things passed away when the last apostle died Folks, if that's the case, look at what we lost by Jesus coming to the earth. Because healing is very clearly identified in the blessing of Abraham. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Verse 14 says that the, the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. God equates Receiving the promise of the Spirit, which we know of as salvation. God equates salvation with the blessing of Abraham, redemption from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is identified in the scripture as spiritual death, poverty, and sickness. As far as God is concerned, those things are on equal footing. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree for two reasons that we might receive the blessing of Abraham that the Gentiles might be recipients of the blessing of Abraham number one and number two that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith that promise of the spirit is salvation or the new birth but instead if Jesus rose from the dead conferring On the church his plan and his purpose for the church to continue doing the works of Jesus here on the earth destroying the power of the devil when we come in contact with those that are bound by it then that reveals not only that God is who the Bible says that he is but he loves his church well enough to have conferred that authority on us as well now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding or your, the eyes of your spirit being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now stop there and look at verse 20. Verse 20 tells us here's God's plan for Jesus as the Messiah and as the Christ. It says God made Jesus alive again. He quickened him in spirit. Now, folks, when it talks about quickening God, God quickening Jesus in spirit, I want you to realize something. If he quickened him in spirit, then his spirit had to be dead. When Jesus, hanging on the cross, utters his final words and says it is finished, He's not talking about the plan of redemption, God's plan of salvation being finished. He's saying the law is finished. But from that point, we see that Jesus goes to the belly of the earth for three days. Now something has to be taking place during those three days. The Bible says that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed, agonized in his prayers, He sweat great drops of blood because of the task that was in front of him and the things that would soon befall him. Now, I can't believe that Jesus is recoiling from physical death to that degree to where he's sweating great drops of blood because the Bible tells us quite clearly that both the two thieves, the one on the right hand and the one on the left hand of Jesus, outlived Jesus physically on the cross through the crucifixion. Jesus really, and, and all this had to do with the Passover and the beginning of the Passover and, and the work that had to be done before the Passover took place. These were things that anybody would certainly recall from. The beating that he took in Pilate's court was so severe that it sapped Jesus of just about every uh, ounce of life that was within him, so much so that he was no longer able to carry his cross and someone else had to be enlisted to do that. But if Jesus instead is looking past just the physical pain and the death of the body to experience the judgment of God coming upon him in spirit, in the unseen realm rather than this physical realm. And the Bible goes into some detail to talk about the punishment of God that had to come upon Jesus. I'm talking about in the spirit realm. The Psalms tell us about these things or give us a hint about these things where it speaks of God's wrath being poured out on Jesus Like waves crashing onto the seashore. Wave after wave of God's justice. His wrath against sin. Not against mankind, but against sin. These things buffeting Jesus one right after the other. But there came a point in time, a moment in time, when the voice from heaven cried out and said, That's enough. The price has been paid. The judgment for sin has been satisfied. Then Jesus comes back, is reunited with his body, his physical body, appears to his disciples, and immediately confers or transfers authority to them. He delegates authority to them over all the works of the devil. Verse 20, again, talking about the power of God which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Where is that place he's sitting? far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Let me switch up the words here to make it a little clearer. God was set, set Jesus at his own right hand far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, and put the, and has put all things under his feet, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Folks, the Bible is telling us, the whole point of this is to tell us that the authority or the power of the devil is authority that's been given to us. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that's named. All that is under our feet. These principalities are under our feet. These powers are under our feet. This dominion of the devil is under our feet. This spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places is all under our feet. Now he's talking about a place of authority. He's talking about the fact that we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. The same place Jesus has been seated, we've been seated. The same place that Jesus or the same manner in Jesus has been quickened, he's quickened us. Let's keep reading in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, talking about the unsaved. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He's talking about the way that we lived before we got saved. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together by Christ, or with Christ, By grace are you saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know the difference between the authority that we have at the right hand of God seated with Christ and the authority that he has? He earned it and we were given it. He earned that place through the sacrifice of his body and his spirit and then the life of God came back upon Jesus as the Bible says he was the firstborn among many brethren he was the first one that was made a new creature by the power of God and then we followed him right in God has made a place for us the church to have authority over the devil Now, when you talk about this authority over the devil, most people have nothing to equate that with or consider that beyond their own experience. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 10, Paul is finishing up this letter to the church, and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This word, wiles, is the word traveling over. In other words, Paul tells us by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is faithful to show us that there's really only one road that the devil travels. There's only one weapon that he has against us, and that's the weapon of deceit. So if we can shore ourselves up to know the truth to such a degree that we recognize the lie of the devil, then we can shut him down as far as his influence over our mind goes. Now the Bible tells us, and Paul's the one that tells us, both in in Romans and in Ephesians and in the letter that he wrote to the Colossians, he tells us that we've already put on the new man, that when we were born again, our old man was crucified with Christ, and that we have put on the new man And that new man is perfect in righteousness and good works and so forth. He's telling us the result of being made new creatures in Christ Jesus. But here he tells us to put on the armor of God. And he tells us this armor of God will protect us from all of the work of the enemy. Now he tells us what the pieces of the armor are. We'll read through it. It won't take a lot of time to explain any of it. But let's just read a little bit. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice the one that's already put on the new man still has to put on this armor if he's going to be effective and successful in overcoming the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, folks, how do you put on these things if we've already been made them? How do you put on righteousness since we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that, here's the exchange that was made, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Well, even though it's difficult for some to accept, The Bible is absolutely clear that we have been made the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ Jesus. Well, if we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then what is there to put on this breastplate of righteousness? Folks, the answer is very simple. He's saying the more that we know about these things, the more that we grow and renew our mind to the truth of these things the stronger and stronger we'll be because of the greater work that righteousness will have for us to protect us from the work of the enemy. Same thing that goes with the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. The more we grow in the knowledge of these things, the more and more and more that they'll work to protect us and affect God's plan and purpose for our lives. The helmet of salvation is the renewing of the mind our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's telling us that we can walk in peace all the days of our lives, no matter what's going on around us, no matter if we're in a a time of prosperity or we're in a time of earth-shaking activity. We can always maintain the peace of God, but it comes through the renewing of the mind and accepting the truth of the things that belong to us. The more we renew our mind to who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus, that's what strengthens us that's what holds us steady we've got a lot of christians in this modern day church that are operating in the same fear that the world is well why is that the bible says that jesus has been made unto us peace every saved person no matter what degree of fear that they're living in let's say that somebody has failed to renew their mind in any of these areas they don't know what belongs to them they don't know who they are in christ Yet the Bible says Christ was made unto them peace just as much as he has been for you and me. What's the difference? The difference is knowledge of who we are in Christ. Jesus said to the disciples, or he said to to those that believed on him, he said, continue in my word and you'll be my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's the knowledge of the truth that sets us free. And there's only one source for that knowledge of the truth, and that's the Word of God. So the more and more that we learn about who we are in Christ, the more we confess who we are in Christ, the stronger and stronger that work of Christ becomes to us. I want to read something to you real quickly. Leave your finger here in Ephesians chapter 6, but I want to read something to you in Romans chapter, chapter 6 as well. Romans chapter 6, let's start reading in verse 8. It says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. If we died with him, then we were resurrected with him too. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now we could stop there and say, "Well, yeah, we understand that about Jesus. He died, and therefore sin has no dominion over him anymore." But it says in verse eleven, "Likewise, in the same manner, in the same way, reckon you yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, too, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord." In other words, it says we should reckon. This word "reckon" is an accounting term. It means to put something in one category, take it out of one category, and put it into another category. It literally means to accept to be true that which is an established fact or reality. So here the Bible, the Holy Ghost is telling us in the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 11, Likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus. We're supposed to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin just like Jesus is dead to sin. The price has been paid. Now let's go a little bit further with that. When you talk about people being freed from the dominion of sin, most everybody thinks about their behavior or their lifestyle. Most everybody gets to the point where the devil says, well, that may be something God intended, but you know you're never going to get there because of the things that you've done. He's not talking about manner of life. He's not talking about behavior. He's talking about being freed from the law of sin and death. That's the whole purpose for Paul going into chapter 7 of the book of Romans talking about his own struggle. He said, there are things that I know I should do, things that I want to do from my heart, but my flesh won't let me do them. Then he says, there are things that my flesh wants to do that I know I shouldn't do, but I don't have the strength to keep my flesh from doing them. He's identifying that the freedom from the dominion of death doesn't come because of our actions. It doesn't come because of our willingness to change sinful behavior into righteous behavior. It comes from a revelation, a recognition, an understanding that Jesus is our righteousness, that it was the work of Jesus that set us free. I'm going to keep reading in Romans chapter 6, verse 12. says, "...let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God." as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. Verse 14, here's what I want you to see. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, he's not just talking about behavior. He's not just talking about sinful activities. He's saying sin, the power of sin and death has been broken over you once and for all. It's our job to reckon that to be true, to accept it to be true. How do we do that? The more we speak the word of God, the more we say about who we are in Christ, the more and more we live up to it. I remember when I first started confessing that I was the righteousness of God, I said it almost with fear and trembling because I was thinking about and focused on my behavior and the things that I'd done wrong, things that had disappointed God concerning rather than looking at what Jesus had done but I'm at the point now where the confession of Jesus being my righteousness is so second nature and has no bearing nothing to do with the way that I live or whether I do the right or the wrong thing of course I always strive to do the right thing the righteous thing but I have flesh just like you do and so I'm not always successful but that has no bearing whatsoever on the fact that I've been made the righteousness of God in him the same thing's true with the other elements of the shield of faith, of, of the armor of God. Let me go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about these things. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Your knowledge of who you are in Christ is everything. It has everything to do with what success the devil is going to have in influencing you and deceiving you. So he says, have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Christ is our peace no matter what's going on around us. The shield of faith that quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. We need to say that our faith is strong in the word. We need to say what the Bible says about us concerning sickness and disease, for example. We need to say that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. We need to confess those things, and the more we confess them, the more we build those things, those truths into our inner consciousness. The stronger and stronger we become in those areas. The helmet of salvation, that's the renewing of the mind. We need to say our mind is being renewed to the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we need to identify the Word of God not only as God's infallible Word, not only is the truth of the universe, but also as a weapon. It's the only offensive weapon that's in the list here. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Well, what does he mean he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Well, what is the gospel of Christ if not the word of God? That's where we find out about what Jesus has done for us. So we need to speak the word of God. We need to say the word of God has power and carries power in our own lives. Notice in verse 13 of Ephesians 6. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. One translation says when evil attacks you. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. There are two stages of this that's important for us to see. First of all, it talks about having done all to stand. Folks, there's a preparation time for us. There's a time where we need to build the Word of God into our inner consciousness to such a degree that we can't be taken in by the work of the devil. We need to build our, such a righteousness consciousness into ourselves, into our, our spirit man, so that the devil has no ability He loses his ability to condemn us because of wrong action that we may undertake. But instead, when we identify that we are the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did, not about what we did or what we failed to do, then that righteousness begins to shine. That righteousness begins to hold us steady. So it says, having done all to stand, stand therefore." Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Talks about a preparation period, doing all that is necessary to stand. That preparation period is meditating on the word and renewing our minds to the truth. And then the the rest of it is the standing part. Now, folks, if everything we exercised authority over the devil concerning acted or uh, took place instantly, then there would be no standing process. If we were able to just build the Word of God into our hearts, our inner man, to such a degree that we always got instant results, there'd be no standing. There'd be no fight of faith that we have to fight. There would be no need for patience to have its perfect work to bring us into completion so that we're perfect in entire wanting nothing. There would be no need for any of those things. But things don't always work as fast as we want them to. I think I'm the poster boy for that. But that doesn't mean they're not working. And that's one place that the devil takes advantage of a lot of people. Part of the deceitfulness of the devil is pointing you to circumstances that may be delayed in its coming, confessions of ours from our heart that we don't yet see the answer for. Then the devil wants to tell us that our faith's not working. He wants to tell us that the the Word of God is not working for us whether it's because we're unworthy or unrighteous or whatever. He'll come up with some reason. But there are things where we're going to have to hold our ground against the devil. Here's what I mean. A lot of times people will exercise authority, and we've all done it, we will exercise authority over the devil and command sickness and disease that it has no place in or upon our family. But then symptoms will arise. And a lot of people, people that haven't renewed their mind to the truth, people that don't know how the devil operates, they will accept those circumstances or those symptoms as proof or evidence that they don't have authority over sickness and disease. But that's the point where you need to bear down. That's the point where you need to declare That we have authority over sickness and disease because of the work of Jesus. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. That's the point where you begin to say that you refuse. Jesus said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. To bind means to refuse or prohibit. That's the point where you need to refuse to accept the symptoms of sickness and disease because you reject the sickness and disease in and of itself. Let me give you an example here. And how the devil works. Brother Hagan, not long after that vision that we spoke about in, earlier in the service, was holding another meeting in a certain place. And he looked out into the congregation and he saw this man that had something attached to his head. He was seeing a vision. He saw into the spirit realm. He was discerning this was the operation of discerning of spirits that Jesus had told him would begin to operate in his life and ministry when he was in the spirit. And so he saw a little monkey-like thing, a little small critter of some type that had this man's head in a vise, just holding on, wrapped around his head, holding on just as tight as he could. And Brother Hagen called this guy up to the front. He didn't tell anybody what he saw, but he called this guy up to the front and ministered to him and apparently this thing was keeping this guy from having mobility in his back and in, in his uh in his body his body was real stiff he couldn't move he couldn't bend over he couldn't do anything like that and so brother Hagen brought this guy up to the front laid hands on him told this evil spirit to leave his body And then he backed up and looked at the guy and he said, now, see if you can touch your toes. And this guy tried and he couldn't do anything. And so Brother Hagin laid his hands on him the second time, cast this evil spirit away from him, out of his body, and then said the same thing to the guy afterwards. He said, now, see if you can touch your toes now. Third time, same thing happened. He commanded this evil spirit to turn loose of this guy's body. Backed up and said, now see if you can touch your toes now. And he wasn't able to do anything. And so he said to this guy, just out of not knowing what else to do, he said, well, you can go back to your seat. And so he comes back up onto the platform. And he continues with his Bible lesson wherever he was before he saw this thing in the spirit. But all the time he's talking to the Lord and he's saying, Lord, I don't understand this. You said that when I saw these evil spirits, they would obey me. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared. This guy is continuing to shuffle himself back to, the, to his seat. And Jesus appeared right down where he was ministering to the other guy. And Jesus pointed his finger at Brother Hagin and said, I said that when you're in the spirit and discerning of spirits is in operation, you'd command the devil to turn loose and he would obey and brother hagan said lord i did that and he didn't obey and he said the lord looked at him and he said it was like fire was coming out of his eyes and he stomped his foot on the floor and said i said he would and then instantly brother hagan saw where he had missed it so this fellow shuffled himself back to his seat now and brother hagan calls him back up he says no come back up here I've got to minister to you again. He did the same thing, laid his hands on this fellow's head, commanded this evil spirit to go from him, backed up, and this time instead of saying, see if you can touch your toes, he said, in the name of Jesus, bend over and touch your toes. And that man's body was completely loosed. He was free from that evil spirit that had departed from him, and he was restored to divine health. Now what if Jesus hadn't appeared to Brother Hagin and corrected him and straightened him out? Brother Hagin would have thought that he was doing the right thing. He certainly saw that evil spirit in the spirit realm. Just as Jesus said it would work, it worked. But he was waiting for something else to happen rather than taking authority over the devil. Smith Wilkes would have talked about a situation where he and uh, some other people were waiting for a trolley, what we might call a bus nowadays, I guess. And he said there was a woman that came out of one of the apartment buildings behind them, close to the bus stop. And she comes walking down the road, and she's got this little bitty dog that's kind of nuzzling around at her her ankles and that type of thing. And so she said, now, honey, you're going to have to go back. I've got to catch the trolley. You'll have to go back home. And this little dog just kept following, kept circling around her ankles, doing like little dogs do, I guess. And finally, the bus started pulling up. She kept saying to honey, you got to go back home. You can't come with me. You got to go back home. And finally, the trolley pulled up, and the woman looked at the dog and stomped her foot real hard and said, get! And Wigglesworth cried out without thinking. He said, that's how you got to do the devil. And folks, that's the way that we have to deal with the devil in our own lives. You cannot give an inch. Where Paul said, neither give place to the devil in Ephesians 4.27 We're the one that decides whether we give place to the devil. Our authority over the devil is absolute. Our authority over the devil is identified specifically and clearly. But whether or not we hold fast to that truth, whether or not we hold fast to that authority and refuse to give the devil any place, whether they've diagnosed somebody with sickness or not, whether symptoms are present or not, we have authority over the devil and we and only we can exercise that authority to make it work and make it real in our own lives. Never give an inch to the devil. James said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He'll run from you as in terror. Peter said, resist the devil who's operating as a roaring lion. He makes a lot of noise, but his teeth have been knocked out." Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. We have authority over the devil. We have authority. We decide what will be bound in our lives And what will be loosed in our lives. Heaven will back us up. Because we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But we're the ones that make the decision. Let's pray. Father we thank you. For the wonderful plan of redemption. That Jesus has consummated and completed for us. We thank you Father. Therefore. Because our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you that we have authority over the devil, over all of his power. Satan, we serve notice on you. We refuse to allow sickness and disease to be on our bodies. We refuse to allow any sickness or any disease to take hold of our flesh because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. Sin has no more dominion over us in any respect, in any manner. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you made us righteous by your righteousness and not of ourselves. Thank you that you were made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in you. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We offer unto you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We count it all joy no matter what difficulty or situation we're in what adversity we find ourselves we thank you that there's no power that's greater than yours and you gave us authority to walk in that power to stand in that power to resist the devil in the power of the name of jesus so we declare that we're free we declare that we are healed from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet We refuse to allow any trace of any symptom of sickness and disease to remain upon our flesh. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, folks, thank you so much for being here with us.